Eureka Springs is a little tourist town nestled in the Ozark Mountains. Population, just over 2,000, not counting the supernatural folk. The town is a hotbed of paranormal activity and has been for as long as people have lived here. Guess they can thank the mystical energy from underground springs for that. All manner of monsters seem drawn to it. When bad things happen that normal folk can't explain, I look into it. My name is Vincent Van Getty. By day, I'm a newspaper reporter for the Lovely County Record. By night, I'm a paranormal investigator looking into all things that go bump in the... Well, you know. It's Season 3 of Ozark Whispers, so if you're just tuning in, go check out Seasons 1 and 2. These episodes will be here when you get back. Man, oh man, have I had an interesting few weeks. Being the autumn champion has really upended my life. And it's not like some part-time job where I can work a couple hours a week and call it good. When the queen calls, I come, whether I want to or not. I'm starting to understand how apparitions feel being summoned all the time without their consent. Can't a guy get some rest? Sure, there were some perks. That's how deals go, right? You get some good stuff and some bad stuff. If you're lucky, the good stuff outweighs the bad. If you're unlucky, as I have been on occasion in life, you did your best to find the silver lining. And with this deal, I could still touch silver, but anything with iron in it burned like the dickens. You'd be surprised how many things in life have iron in them. That sounds funny until you flinch when someone tosses a bit of pocket change at you. The newsroom didn't let me live that one down for a while. And iron really is everywhere. Case in point, car keys made of nickel silver which is usually nickel-plated onto an iron-based alloy with some copper. That's right, I have to be a frickin' geologist now to prevent myself from being burned. Being infused with fey magic against my will sucks. But, as I said, there are a few perks. This perky little face sprite named Avalon was always around and willing to help me with whatever I needed. I tried to release her from my service, but she was under the Autumn Queen's orders to make my life easier, which made some things awkward because I didn't if I didn't ask her to do at least one thing for me every day, she'd be failing a direct order from the Queen and was opening herself up to punishment, and I didn't want that on my conscience. Still, I felt awkward asking for stuff. I mean, she helped summon an army of face sprites to rebuild my old loft overnight. What else could I ask from her? Usually I just asked for small stuff, like helping me make morning coffee, or knowledge on fey dealings. Her brains were useful from Queen Fomar when she summoned me and tasked me with finding rare mushrooms the other night. They had been stolen from her daughter's home in the middle of the evening. Then there was Solosia, this giant Samoya dog fey spirit thing that followed me everywhere except my own personal bathroom. The dog wasn't needy by any means, but having him tail me everywhere for my own quote-unquote personal protection made things a logistical challenge. In the end, I had to have him registered as a service animal for panic attacks. My boss wasn't too happy about that at the newspaper because Rex is a bit of a bootstraps, suck it up and deal with it kind of guy. But the Texan didn't really have much choice because of the Americans with Disabilities Act. 
So his final words on the matter were, don't let that thing crap on my carpet. I'd say that I have no idea what Sologio was supposed to protect me from, but that's not true at all. At least twice now, assassins from other Fey seasonal courts had tried to kill me simply for being aligned with the Autumn Queen. Each time Sologia had warned me and or defended me from attackers so that I was still alive. He was a good dog, but me having to shell out money for a Roomba on a journalist's salary to keep up with the shedding was annoying. At least I was still breathing. Always a plus. And then on New Year's Eve, I finally got a reprieve from Queen Fomar's service. I was actually quite proud of my trickery. You see, most people, especially those who are ignorant to what all goes bump in the night, tend to just take mythology at face value. They hear that Zeus turned into a swan and seduced a woman, they nod and they move along. That sounds like something he'd do, right? I didn't ask him myself when we last met on account of how he was taking the witch that killed his daughter into custody. But the reverse is also true of human mythology, it seems. If I sent Avalon with a message to the Queen talking about how New Year's Eve and New Year's Day are sacred human reflection periods, without which we'd be lost for the next year, she apparently buys it and gives a royal decree that I'm not to be summoned again until January 2nd. I'm still surprised that one worked. Of course, being free from the Queen's service didn't make me free from Rex's service. I was scheduled to work on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. I'd have to hope that Solosia didn't run and tell the Queen that my meditation would be light over the next 48 hours. That's the lovely thing about working for a daily newspaper. It goes out every day, even on holidays. And people in Eureka Springs love their newspaper, especially on holidays when they had extra time to read it. So that's how I ended up in the empty newspaper office at 9am on New Year's Eve, Solosia curled up on the floor behind me. I had to give the dog one thing, he did not bark unless I was in danger. The rest of the time he was perfectly quiet and calm. It was actually kind of eerie to see this much stillness in a canine. But, then again, I had to remember he wasn't actually a canine. He was a fey spirit in the form of one. A spirit that understood my speech, and was probably an extra spy for the queen. The story I'd been assigned to work on was two missing Eureka residents. They'd vanished a couple days after Christmas. The police department hadn't really come up with much of an explanation yet, and witnesses were scattered in few. I'd spoken with the police chief this morning on the phone, and nothing had really changed. Here are the facts. A. On December 27th at 2.30pm, a local retired preacher named Bobby Goodwin had gone missing from his church office at the Eureka Springs Second Baptist Church. He'd given his last sermon on Christmas Eve. The man had come to finish clearing out his office and hadn't been seen since. His car was still at the church. B. On December 28th at 1am, a mother named May Albright had vanished from her home. She'd been cooking because the neighbors eventually noticed smoke coming from the kitchen and called 911. The house had been saved, but the fire was the only second tragedy to befall her this month. At the start, she'd lost her teen daughter in a car crash. Her vehicle was also left in the driveway. The police chief told me he'd brought in multiple canine units from Benton and Washington counties to try and pick up any trails, but nothing. Friends and family hadn't provided any additional clues either. So now he was stuck. And that was the story. Two Eurekans missing after the holidays, and police have no idea what happened. That should be a red flag for the paranormal investigator in me. I walked over to the pot of coffee and poured myself a cup. Then I sighed because this was a particularly dangerous time of the year to go missing. Everyone thinks the holidays are nothing but cheerful, and they are for a great many, but having two giant holidays so close together can also mean danger for some. 
With Christmas and New Year's one week apart, that sends out some powerful shockwaves across the country. Holidays have power because traditions have power. Millions of Americans celebrating similar traditions at the exact same time has amazing power. And that power echoes out across the country, across the world, as people in other nations put their own spin on these two holidays. Add in other festivities like the winter solstice, Hanukkah, and Kwanzaa, and those shockwaves grow. Have you ever noticed how the week between December 25th and January 1st feels so strange? You don't know what day it is, you can't remember if the post office is open, there's always a heavy mental haze over everything you do. That's caused by these ritual shockwaves. The holidays celebrated by millions of people build up this giant energy, and then it ripples out like a giant wave. And the spaces between those giant waves, holes form, and sometimes people get lost. That's what I suspected happened to Bobby in May. They got lost. And not like missed a turn on the interstate lost, powerfully lost. Lost in life, lost in thought, lost in reality. And they fell between the cracks of these energy waves, vanishing without a trace. Newspaper Vincent was limited in how he could help these people, but paranormal investigator Vincent might just be able to bring them home. The first order of business was to get lost myself, and I didn't have much time. If New Year's Day arrived before we returned, that hole created by the holiday energy waves would be filled in. No coming back. So I did something Solosia would hate me for later. I told him I was going to the bathroom, which I technically was, and I planned on giving him the slip, because the Queen expected me to be meditating and reflecting on this rare day off, not saving mortals. I walked into the single stall bathroom and stood leaning against the door. Bobby and May were likely lost, spiritually and philosophically, sucked into a whirlpool of their own screaming internal questions. And for me to end up where they were, I'd have to start yelling some questions of my own and generating a little self-doubt and fear. Taking a deep breath, I closed my eyes and pictured myself as the Autumn Champion, the latest mess I found myself in after being framed for killing Zeus's daughter. Man, I just cannot catch a break without ending up ensnared in this stuff. It felt like a web of magic closing in around me, and I found it harder to breathe. What was I doing? I was supposed to be solving magical mysteries in Eureka, not using all my time and energy to serve the Autumn Queen. But this was a sealed bond I couldn't get out of. Was this to become the rest of my days? A collar around my neck being summoned to settle her magical problems until the day another court finally assassinated me? It didn't feel like there was any escape from this stuff, and I began to truly feel hopeless, which led exactly to what I wanted being lost. Anyone watching me from the bathroom, which would have been seriously wrong, would have seen my body just fade away, Jedi ghost style, as I fell into the hole between energy waves. Solosia was likely clawing at the door now, having sensed my disappearing act and no longer being able to smell me in the building. When I opened my eyes, I was in downtown Eureka, but all was still and quiet. There was a heavy fog everywhere that obscured my vision. I could barely make out other buildings and what I saw was that I was in front of the collectible toy store on Spring Street. The air here felt cold and clammy. There was no sun out in the sky above me. There really weren't many colors that my eyes could see. And there was no one around that I could see or hear, which was eerie for downtown Eureka. I realized as a sudden dizziness washed over me that I'd achieved my goal. I had gotten lost. And since it was between these holidays, I'd literally disappeared from the normal world and ended up here. This place began to hollow me out and make me care little for anything. Why did I even want to find these people? Ugh, I had to be careful. 
Spending too much time being lost would leave me wanting to stay lost forever. That's what this place was trying to make me feel. I'd have to be quick, and I knew exactly where to look for Bobby and May, at the exact places they'd vanished. Where you appeared in this world was likely random, but where you migrated would have reason behind it. You'd be pulled to a place that correlated with the real world, a place that generated powerful negative emotion for you. I took off running and eventually made it to East Van Buren Street, outside of downtown, where a tragic accident had occurred. There was a hill here that led down into the downtown area. One Jessica Albright had been killed in a car crash in this area. She was turning to head downtown when a box truck came around the corner and slammed into her. It was a foggy morning not too dissimilar from this, and it wasn't difficult to cut the truck driver some slack. Jessica's car was a milky white and difficult to see in the fog, and he wasn't speeding or under the influence of anything so the cops let him off. Nobody really at fault, just a terrible occurrence that caused a mother and father to lose their daughter. So that's where I found her, a woman with short chestnut hair and faded eyes, likely the effect of this place. She was kneeling in the middle of the street where the crash took place, just staring blankly at the concrete. May was wearing a blue bathrobe and pajamas with bunnies on them. She was barefoot. I walked over to her and asked if she could stand, but she didn't respond to me. So I gently grabbed her elbow and pulled her up slowly. If she sensed my presence, she gave no reaction. No matter how many times I tried to talk to her, May remained staring at the concrete. Reaching her was going to take time so I started to gently move her toward the sidewalk and up north to collect our other victim. She never fought me, just kept turning her head to stare at the spot on the concrete. After about half a mile, we came to the Second Baptist Church. We found the lobby door unlocked. Inside smelled like cinnamon candles, and there was a soft blue carpet beneath us as we entered the sanctuary. There were about 13 pews on each side of us leading down to a pulpit with a piano behind it on the left, some choir risers, and a stained-glass image of Christ on the cross behind the baptism pit. Sitting on the front pew looking up at the podium was a tall African-American man with more gray than black in his short-cut hair. He wore a blue suit, and as I walked May down the front row toward him, I noticed sermon notes scattered all around him. His eyes held the same faded gray look as May's. No matter how many times I called his name, his attention did not budge from that pulpit. So I sat May down next to him on the front pew, with a gray cushion beneath them, and proceeded to explain who I was and why I was here. Surprisingly, they did not respond. Bobby kept looking forward, and May kept looking south, back toward the accident site, I presumed. Look, I told them, you each lost something precious to you. Bobby, you lost a job you'd held for 40 years because the elders pushed you into retirement at the age of 70. May, you lost a daughter in a horrible accident that shouldn't have happened but nevertheless did. I understand why you ended up here, but if you don't find your way back from being lost, you'll stay here forever. We need to leave before the new year arrives. Come with me. But they didn't stir, and when my words failed to reach them for the fourth or fifth time, I felt more airiness creep into my chest. What was the point? They each had their own pain. What right did I have to drag them back to the reality where time marches forward toward even more potential tragedies? Wasn't it safer for them, here, where New Pain couldn't find them? And wasn't it safer here for me, too? If I returned home, I'd just have to face more indentured service to the Autumn Queen. I should remain in this sanctuary with these two keeping them company. At least that way they wouldn't be alone. I almost bought that. Gods, I wanted to. But then I pictured Gina slapping me across the cheek, and it almost felt real. 
I shook my head and reached into my jeans pocket to pull out a white candle I'd carved with runes earlier this morning, and I kneeled before the two lost souls and began to grasp the candle tightly. Lighting it required not matches, but a bright ray hope of my own. That's what the spell created. It was a light of hope, and I dug deep to find it. I pictured having my home back again, having my name cleared before Zeus, Gina's cafe waiting for me every morning, my aunt back in Portland who still called every week to check in. Life was different serving the Autumn Queen, but I could endure it a little longer. I'd find a way out of it like I had with the Witch Killer, and my friends in this town would help me along the way, as they always had. Slowly, the wick at the top of the candle began to glow and then light. When a full yellow flame appeared, the runes glowed, and a wave of pressure shot through the sanctuary, blowing out all the fog. And for the first time, Bobby and May looked right at me, or rather, the candle. A little light returned to their eyes. And I spoke again, making one last attempt to reach them. I said, Bobby, you've dedicated most of your life to this place. And it wasn't right that your service ended before you felt ready to call it quits, but you know what? There were like a billion churches in this town. We have a giant Jesus statue over yonder. Surely one of them is looking for a new pastor, at the very least on a part-time basis, right? Find a new congregation and resume sharing your messages of hope. May, your daughter is gone, but remaining here in petrified tears isn't going to bring her back. It'll hurt if you come back to the real world, but please realize you're not the only one who lost someone. Your husband also lost a daughter, and although he's burying himself in work to avoid showing it, Ray is shattered on the inside just like you. Please don't let him lose another loved one. Not like this. It's time for you both to find yourselves again. You've spent long enough here. I can't bring you back with me, but if you find yourselves again, and you consciously decide to return, you'll reappear exactly where you vanished. But you have to want it for yourselves. They each began to cry, and I told them that I believed in them as I set the candle on the ground. It would continue to burn for a little while longer. And as I found myself again, convinced that there was a future of freedom for me somewhere, that airiness in my chest began to fade. And I lost the lost world, founding myself again. When I opened my eyes, I was back in the bathroom, Solosia barking outside. So I opened the door, and the dog sat there scowling at me. What? I asked. Can't a guy get some privacy in the bathroom? A quick check of my watch showed that I had been gone most of the day. It was about 6pm now. Solosia wasn't buying it. He knew I'd vanished somewhere and was probably seconds away from alerting the queen. Oh man, that bad breakfast did not agree with me. And I'm not sure what Gina put in my coffee this morning, but I'm back now, I said, smiling. Solosia scowled at me and body slammed the side of my thigh. He was not buying it. But it didn't seem like he was going to report to the queen either. I waited around the newspaper office, unsure of what to type up. That's the difficult thing about being a journalist and a paranormal investigator. How much truth, if any, do I share in the official written record? That was when my phone vibrated. It was the police chief. He called to say May had showed back up in her home, weakened and claiming memory lost for the last couple days. Whether she'd remember the lost world, I had no clue. When I asked about Bobby, the chief responded in the negative. He gave me a few statements and then I hung up to write my story. One missing person found. I hoped as the night went on and the paper went to print that Bobby would reappear, but he never did. I made my way to his church and the new pastor let me in when I told him I just needed a quiet spot to pray. 
I sat on the front pew in a much less foggy version of the same building I'd been in earlier, and I hoped beyond hope that Bobby would show up. But as my watch hit 12.01am, I remained alone on the pew. I knew better. Some people just don't want to be found once they're lost, and that was the lesson I was going to have to swallow as I took Salosia home. The silver lining to the day was that May came back and reunited with her family. She'd found herself and decided she wanted a future, even one mixed with burdens and pain. Bobby must have decided after seven years on this mortal plane that he'd had enough, one chip too many to his heart. And I couldn't blame him for that. I just had to make sure I learned from his lesson. That I'd found them. I'd found myself. And in this new year, I was going to find freedom from the Queen's service. <laughs>